Hi and welcome everyone to the 94th episode of Seeing Rocks. This is Markus Allansson and today's podcast will be about Power Apps and Team. And with me today I have Shane Young from Power Apps 911. Shane Young has been a Microsoft MVP for the last 15 years and was named one of the first Power Apps and Flow MVPs. Microsoft has awarded him for his work speaking at major conferences on their behalf contributions to their training and documentation and for his YouTube channel that has almost 44 million minutes of watch time for teaching people Microsoft technology. Shane has consulted on apps across the globe with Antarctica being the only continent not covered. So if you know anyone who needs a polar bear app, please let him know. Welcome Shane Young. Hello, and thank you for having me. It's uh, very excited to talk to you today, Mark. How are you today, Shane? You know, I can't complain. I mean, all the people who know me well, they know Chewy, my big giant uh, golden doodle that's the star of most of my YouTube videos. And so he's had a grooming appointment today, so I was helping with that. So yeah, I'm a little uh, I'm a little doggy right now, but the good news is there's no video for this, so you can't tell that I need a shower. But other than that, I'm great. Yeah, yeah, that that's the good thing with power. Um, no, sorry, that's the good thing with podcasts. That's it's audio only, so uh, we can sit here how we like, right? Yeah. Well, that's been one of the joys I think for a lot of people from work from home. I, I don't know about you, but I've been work from home for fifteen years, so it's not new to me. But I know a lot of people are really surprised by the uh, the fact that they can sit here in their PJs all day and still get their jobs done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the good part, right? Yeah, you got, you got to look at the positives. L working at Power Apps 911, what is it that you do? Uh, how about everything? Uh, <laughs> so I started Power Apps 911 a couple years ago, and you know we've been a pretty fast-growing old company. I think there's, I don't know, 12, 14, 15 of us. I forget the number. And uh, so I do some Power Apps consulting, uh, mentoring, that type of thing, and then we, we build training content, so I, I get to build and teach a lot of training classes and basically just help the world enjoy Power Apps and the rest of the Power Platform as much as possible. And we're customers all the time. What's your last memorable customer experience as a customer? Oh, that is a tricky question. I You know, it's always interesting. I, it was probably the fact of, so I had the good fortune that um, when I turned 40, yes, that's right, I know this beautiful face, it's hard to believe it's 40, um, when I turned 40, my wife bought me a Tesla. And so, you know, being a nerd, Teslas are amazing cars because they have all this tech around them. But one of the neatest things was, you know, when I needed service. So my, uh, one of my side view mirrors stopped working. And so I just hopped into their app and, you know, clicked some buttons, reported the problem. And they're like, Oh, somebody will come to your house and take care of it. Right. There, there was no phone calls. There was no waiting. There was no taking my car. I just got into an app and entered some information and lo and behold, you know, a nice gentleman shows up at my house, fixes my car without, you know, any, any inconvenience. And I just thought that that was an amazing customer experience. That sounds really good, actually. And that was a lovely present from your wife. Yes, yes. She's a very, very kind uh, woman. <laughs> yeah. And so you really big on YouTube. How did that start? You know... That's, I don't, I'd love to say I had this master plan that I was going to be a, a YouTube person, you know, with 45 million minutes of views. But um, in reality, uh, I had my first company. So I've been, a, you know, an MVP, as you said earlier, about 15 years. And so my first company was all about SharePoint. And 
in 2012, I sold that to a, a very large company and, you know, I went and worked for them for a few years and kind of did that. And when I left there, I was kind of lost, right? I'm like, all right, I don't want to go do SharePoint again. And so I was kind of like, well, what, what do I want to do? And I'd always loved to train. I'd always loved to teach classes. You know, I've, I've taught at university before. I've taught, you know, I've coached kids. I've taught in schools. I, I, I really enjoy teaching. So I think I'm going to try YouTube. And so I got on there and I made a video and it turned out that people didn't hate it. Um, so I made another one and another one. And, and, you know, one of the things I'm sure you probably found the same when it came to your podcasting, right? You, you didn't get it all right on the first try. You, you, every episode, you probably do something a little bit different. You, you tweak this, you do that, you buy a little bit nicer, this or that. And I did the same thing with YouTube and I, I guess I was just at the right place at the right time, but it, it just took off. Um, I, I, I don't know. I, I, it wasn't a goal, but now it's, you know, it's probably my favorite thing that I do every week is make YouTube content, uh, to, you know, promote the power platform. And as long as it's fun, it's pretty easy to do, right? Because you enjoy it while you do it. Absolutely. Yeah, I get cranky when I don't get to do it. Yeah. And now four years in and like, 176 videos i think i just looked that up uh, on youtube yeah i yeah it I sounds about right and you know and it's funny i go back and watch so like i have a video with over a million views and i go watch that one and i just cringe right there's so much about that video that i would change yeah. um oh my god so, a million views yeah I, I have one video with a million i have a couple other that look like they're on path to get to a million views um, really good job yeah thank you but it, it's interesting, you know, uh, so like we said, I've kind of evolved in increments, right? A little bit better camera here, better video or better uh, microphone, better lighting. And so right now I'm actually in the process of planning. I haven't told anyone this. You're the first one to hear this. Um, I won't but, tell anyone. Oh, I appreciate that. Just between <laughs> you and me. Uh, yeah. But so as I sit here, you know, where I've made the majority of these videos, um, I'm going to like revamp the whole space like i've got visions of you know repainting the whole room moving my desk out about 10 feet further away from the wall so i can get some more depth behind me and like like completely rebooting kind of you know quote unquote my studio uh, which is also my full-time office but but trying to like completely rework the environment to just see if you know it, it, it's weird with videos which is different than podcasts I spend a lot of time thinking about what's happening behind me on the walls or in the, or on the screen that isn't even really part of the show, right? It's not like what's on the wall behind me has no relevance on the video that I'm making on Power Apps. But those little tweaks and those little things, that's what really drives, um, you know, viewers to keep coming back. You, you, I, you find that people don't know why they like your content. They just do. And, and it's, all of these little things that we do in the background that, that that really kind of make people love it. And they don't even know that that's the reason they love it. It's, it's very interesting kind of how you have to play with it. And think. Yeah. So do you use Teams, anything on uh, Power Apps 911? Yeah. So Teams is um, kind of a big deal around here. <laughs> this is another by accident type of thing, but um, as a company, right? And so we, you know, we've got, like I said, 15-ish people. We don't use email anymore. We completely do, you know, we run all of our meetings in Teams. We do all of our chatting in Teams. We disseminate information in Teams. We share customer documents and project updates. All of that happens in Teams. 
Um, and, and it's it was quite by accident, but we realized one day, about a year ago, yeah, maybe nine months ago, I just woke up one day and realized that we'd become a centric company. And it really opened my eyes to like how powerful it was, but how easy it was just to leave email. So you sort of fall into teams. You didn't really choose team as a strategy then? No. Um, so, I mean, we had chosen teams for our strategy for like um, external meetings. So screen sharing, that type of stuff. When we yeah. do mentoring with clients, we do a lot of that. Um, but no, we had not purposely set out to stop using um, email and if you think about it, right, I mean, I used to, I've written six books on SharePoint. I used to own a SharePoint consulting company. It was like the fact that we transitioned away from storing our own content in SharePoint and then storing it in Teams, which actually stores it in SharePoint under the hood. But yeah. that was, yeah, that would have, I would have never believed that that's what was going to happen. But Teams has become the center of our world. So you use it instead of emails. Is that sort of to get record history or? What else is there? I, I really think a lot of it is just that's where my uh, my coworkers are the most comfortable working, right? We're 100% virtual. Like half the people that work for the company, I've never met in person. You know, I mean, I chat with them all the time and see them on video calls, but I've yeah. never physically, you know, shook their hand. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I think that's just kind of where our consultants were most comfortable. So we just all naturally migrated there. I mean, so much so... Like, so, you know, 90% of our leads come from someone goes to powerapps911.com and they fill out the contact form at the bottom of the page. You know, it's like three fields, you hit go. And because we use a, a third-party provider, all it does is generate an email. It doesn't go in a database anywhere. Like, it's not accessible other than we all just get this email that says, you know, Marcus filled out your contact form. And so what we did was we used uh, Power Automate. We used Flow. That says, hey, every time I get an email from the email address that the website sends them from, grab that um, email, extract out all the information. So, you know, Marcus's name, his uh, email address, and his message, and then do some different things with it. And so we kind of go down two forks. One fork is we immediately send back an email to you and say, hey, thanks for reaching out. Um, someone will get back to you within, you know, one business day, blah, blah, blah. But then at the bottom, it just says, Marcus, can we add you to our mailing lists? And, you know, and then there's just a big yes and no button right there in your email. Yeah. And, and if you press yes, then it triggers a flow that then says, okay, let's take Marcus's information and let's store it um, into MailChimp. And, you know, and so he's in our database. And so when we wrote that flow, right, just to automate kind of the email factor, because we don't like email, um, you know, we went from, we had seven people on our mailing list when I started that flow so now we have just thousands and thousands of people all from just politely saying, hey, do you mind if we add you to our mailing list? We, if you don't, we don't do anything. You know what I mean? We don't no. not add you. We don't get mad at you or anything. We're just cool. But uh, yeah. just politely asking people has made that a lot better. So On the other, it, oh, go ahead. It, it looks like those approval flows that you have built into Flow, but you added for an external party instead of an internal one That's was really the... The one created by Microsoft. Yes. So instead of using their approval flow, we uh, built a flow. We use the action called email with options. Yeah. And so nice. that uh, is what allows us to send an email to an external party with a yes and a no button. Yeah. It's so easy and so brilliant. I mean, that's what I love with these 
power-ups and flow combinations and now teams combination that with just a teeny tiny thing you can actually get a lot of power and a lot of things out of it and that's the, the value here for me so you use that again there and and then do you send it to like a channel here is someone to reach out to or do you still send it to the individuals look at you 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 you're thinking the right way that's why i like you right you're thinking the right way so the other path that the email so when we get the email the other path that goes is we grab that email and we interrogate it for all that same information we talked about but then we also then say okay so today is what today's monday so we'd say, okay, on Mondays, we then go look up in a database and say, who is in charge of answering these emails on Monday? And it says, oh, that's Allison. Cool. So then we generate a, an adaptive card and send that to Allison via a Teams chat that says, hey, Allison, you have this contact from Marcus. And so then Allison sees what you asked. She can fill in the blanks and, and write a comment back. And then she can either send that off to Jennifer or Sarah, who are uh, kind of the people that run and manage, you know, new engagements. They can, she can send it off to um, Nicola, who would set up a sales call with you. Or she can just say, reply back to Marcus. Because, right, Marcus just said, hey, how do I write this formula? And so Allison would just write the formula and fill it out in the team and hit send back to Marcus. And so then it would send you an email, right? So even though the whole business counts on these emails coming in because we don't want to use email anymore. We have farmed all that out that we interact with your entire contact via a Teams channel. And it's just sending you emails back because we don't have a way to Teams chat with you. But yeah, that's been a real big like change in our business. And and that channel can be observed with by more people, right? So if for some reason someone is sick, or something they're just out of office that day that they should have been and perhaps forgot to notice or mention to that, then someone else can cover for them. Oh, yeah, she's out today, so we better cover this. That mentions her, right? You're absolutely right, yes. So it's Jennifer's job at the end of the day to make sure they all get responded to. And so, yeah, so Jennifer can monitor those chats. And then we've also written a flow that says, hey, if there's any that are sitting out there for too many hours, you know, ping some people, right? So we have an automated process that just looks to see, are there any of these that haven't been responded to in the right amount of time? So look at that, a complete business workflow, all written without a single line of... Yeah, it's really nice one. So do you have a lot of processes like these in PowerApps 911? So... So those are the only two like customer-facing ones from that standpoint. Uh, but then we have a all of our timesheets because we're consultants, right? So we have to you know record billable time and, and enter project notes and that type of stuff. So that all happens in a Power App uh, solution that we then use Power BI to you know keep an eye on the metrics. Um, and then we have a product project status update app. And so then that's where you know consultants go in every week and kind of give their notes. And so then we have a Power Automate that takes and produces um, output from that so that then Sarah can disseminate that to the different customers who need, you know, hourly type of updates. Um, we have a lot of customers who buy like a 10-hour a prepaid package so they can just ask for help from Allison or Daniel or Steven anytime they want. Yeah. And so we have to kind of a process that, uh, you know, Sarah has to manage a lot of that. And so we've, we've written as much automation. Around. Yeah. Nice one. So 
I mean, you're an MVP, so you've heard about Product Oakdale. Should we even mention what it was called before, or just go go straight to Product Oakdale? I think I think we get in trouble if we even say the words, right? It's, all uh, right, just so, Project Oakdale, my book. Yeah, all right. So let's go for that one then. What is it? So Project Oakdale is, you know, I don't know if you you, you knew this or not, but we're kind of in the middle of this like global pandemic thing, uh, which has found everyone working from home all of a sudden. Which is really, you know, I don't remember the numbers anymore, but the team's usage has just went through the roof. And basically at this point, right, it's kind of like this battle between Microsoft Teams and uh, our dear friend Zoom, which I'm a fan of before. I never liked Zoom. Um, And so what Project Oakdale is, is Microsoft says, well, you know, Teams and Zoom, you know, they got a lot of similarities, but people want more. And so what Microsoft did was they said, you know what, we're going to make it. So that the entire Power Platform, so the Power Platform being Power Apps, Power Automate, Power BAI, and Power Virtual Agents, all of that is just natively built into Teams. So with Project Oakdale, I can just log into Teams, add the Power Apps app, and then I can build a Power Apps app right there inside my Teams, publish it to my team, and have it completely interact with my team. So for these, you know, millions of new people that are just coming into the Microsoft ecosystem for Teams, all of a sudden now we're just kind of giving them Power Platform right there at their fingertips without them having to worry about anything or have to worry about any additional licenses. So the last part is really the big change here, right? So they've made it a lot easier and they made that part actually included in the Teams license. That's the crazy part, yes. I mean, CDS had a lot of users before, but not like Teams today, right? It must be multiple times of users. Yeah, right. And that, and that's, so we didn't really cover that, right? That's the whole idea that CDS is also called the common data service. And so that's the um, the data platform or the data storage that gets bolted into all these Teams channels people want to go and take advantage of. And yeah, so, you know, you can store roughly a million records right there in your power apps or sorry, in your team's channel or team's team. Oh, so many words. Um, this is troublesome. Yes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Anytime I have to say team's team, I really have to like pause and like think it through. Yeah. So it doesn't roll off the tongue. No, but yes, the, the teams within Microsoft teams. Yeah. So, so the yeah. fact that that just has a data source built in, you can build these apps, you can build a chat bot, you can build a workflow, I mean, game, set, match, right? Zoom has no chance in uh, comparison anymore. And I heard that they wanted to make it really easy to start with CDS. So if you don't really have a budget and you make want to make your first Power Apps just starting, you don't start with SharePoint lists. So you don't create that sort of technical depth to build a real application forward. So you actually have a great database to upgrade to the sort of real CDS later on. Could that be true? Yes. No, I think that is a great point, right? I don't think Microsoft has said it as succinctly as you just did. Um, but no, I, I, I do think that's the thing, right? Today, the number one data source was uh, you, people started with SharePoint. And then, as you said, you know, SharePoint's great if you want to build a little small app, but you can outgrow SharePoint from a scalability. There's some, you know, different functions and performance. There's some challenges to building a, you know, robust app on SharePoint today. We, we do it all the time and it's possible to do really well, but, it, but there are challenges. 
And so the idea is that if we can build them on Project Oakdale or Common Data Service Lite or whatever you want to call the current data platform we're building them on, you know, from the get-go, it just puts you in a better place uh, right off the bat. And that's, that's well said. So what are the common scenarios? I mean, you've done a couple of videos with Power Apps and Teams. So what are the common scenarios that you've seen? Yeah, I um, I wish I had a count of how many thousands of Power Apps I've built at this point. It, it's a lot. Um, you know, a lot of people, what they do is they, they like to start with some type of spreadsheet-driven process. So, you know, today you... You and your team have a spreadsheet that you share. Three or four of you kind of update it. One of you has to correlate the data. You know, and you kind of you've built a you've built an app, but it's really very manual because it's really just a spreadsheet that you kind of. Have. So a lot of times those processes are great first power apps um, or replacing paper. So a lot of people like to think about like how do I empower non technical users? So maybe it's time cards, maybe it's inspection apps, maybe it's you know just different paper-driven processes that they have to worry about today, they, they say, oh, Power Apps is our chance not only to recreate the piece of paper, but to really drive the business process. So those are kind of your starter apps. On the other end of the scale, you know, I've seen people build apps that just do things that you wouldn't believe me if I, they did, right? I mean, like complete automation solutions for like industries. Like, so, you know, the industry... Imagine like, you know, if we said the, the healthcare industry wanted to run an entire hospital on a power app. I'm not saying I've got a customer that does that, but, but that's the type of stuff that we see on the high end. People building apps that just do unthinkable things. And, and a lot of times they're doing it because they realize that while power apps, you know, to build this stuff has an upfront cost, they're replacing software that costs them hundreds of thousands of dollars a year in subscription services with a power app that might cost them thousands of dollars a year in subscription services and they're like hey i think this the math works out pretty well yeah and then you can pay a couple of consultants to do that as well right and you don't have to pay for the entire custom application and then the consultants for that as well so that's get additionally savior yep or saves in in costs yeah i ju yeah i just finished up one for some uh, customer you know, and the software they were using for IT asset management, you know, it was costing them a little over a hundred grand a year in subscription costs. And, you know, I rebuilt it all for a power app that was a one-time cost of, let's call it $25,000. So, it, I mean, the, the, the math is real easy. <laughs> yeah. So when you get to this big canvas apps, do mm -hmm. you see that there is a problem that there might just be one user that can actually just edit that canvas app at this time? So if you want to make it faster or easier, you sort of have to build it in, in parts and then stitch it together later on. Or how do you do it? Um, all of the apps that we've built for customers, you know, and we're, like I said, we're several hundred, if not a thousand apps in as a company. Um, all the apps that we have built, it's one developer, you know, building the actual app. Um, occasionally, what we'll, you know, on very large projects, what you might see is, so like, so one of the complex ones I'm thinking of now, Daniel on our team, you know, he built the app. So he was talking to the customer all the time, doing the, doing, you know, the, the app work. But one of the pieces of it, was very challenging. So they wanted to generate a uh, a PDF. Um, and so, but it wasn't just like a simple PDF. It was actually a PDF that mimicked a government form that these guys had to produce. And so, you know, he gave me that portion, right? So I went off in a corner 
And I spent about 40 hours building this, you know, PDF conversion process and the output and all that. But when we were done, I could just hand it to him. So we did, you know, I didn't think of that as piecemeal because I was just building this one flow portion of it. So he could just, you know, add my flow into his app. So, you know, we've built some massive projects and we've never had a problem that we just had one. But, you know, that's not to say that some people haven't ran into that, but knock on wood, you know, we, uh, we've we been in good shape here. Uh, that's really easy because uh, sometimes when we've tried it out and we want to test perhaps different scenarios, we've split it up in different apps. So you try a different parts of the things that are sort of risky. And so can we do this in a Canvas apps? Can we do this in a Canvas apps? And if we have three or four of those, pox for for lack of better word uh, proof of concepts then we sort of do those in separate apps and then if we figure it out we sort of just take that part and bring it into the final product so um we've we've sort of hit that okay just one p one person can edit that app at the time thing that I'm not sure if I like or not still, but uh, yeah. No, and I I get that. And and I do like the fact that you guys, you know, because we we also recommend that approach is, you know, the the POC or proof of concept idea that we want to go. And before we sign up to do this whole project, let's go validate that this one or two, you know, really new ideas that you have are possible. I can also tell you that when I teach my training classes, one of the things I always encourage people you know, uh, so like I had a customer, this was one of my very first ones a few years back, and we were building his app for doing like taking notes when his people were interacting with their customer. And one of the things he said is, hey, I want to add in here um, the location data and the Google Maps API to kind of show that location. And so what I did, which was a newer idea at the time, was I said, instead of just adding this to his app, I went over to um, a new app. I just started a blank app. And I just went and played with the Google Maps API and worked on location data and I got all the things that he wanted working over there. And I'm like, okay, cool. Like I've proven that the Google Maps pieces work. So then once I understood how it all worked, it was easy to bolt into his app. But the most important message of this is when I got done with that POC Google app, I still to this day have, I demoed that app for a customer this morning, right? Because... Every time that I have to learn new skills or build new functionality, I build it in its own app and I keep that app forever. So I don't even have to remember what is the Google Maps API formulas look like. If I need to add that to your app, I just go open my old one, copy out that piece of code, and I'm off and running. And, and that's really the, the, the difference, I think, between people that are, you know, kind of trying to really nearly their way through this versus people that think they're going to do this for the long run having that library of problems you've already solved so you can just quickly grab that information. And get- so you use that as sort of a version control of history that things is, things that you have solved and done. Yes, yeah, yeah. And me and everyone on my team, we have, you know, just dozens of apps that we have built that we all just kind of keep for ourselves. And you're, So when you call me up and say, hey, Shane, can you help me with um, patching a SharePoint lookup column, right? I don't remember the formulas for that. I open up my app called SharePoint Complex um, Formulas and I look on the button that says patch a lookup field and I just copy the code, paste that in the team's chat and my consultant's off and running, right? I don't have to remember or resolve that problem. And it just saves so much time in the grand scheme of things. 
So you don't sort of split them up and check them in and sort of can see, okay, what was this change? When do we change that and connect it to user stories? Nope. Nope. I am. um, So, you know, I do not have a professional developer background, right? I've managed professional developers, but I've never like written a line of C-sharp code in my life, right? So I have never been fond of the true ALM, application lifecycle management stories. So it's just never been my style. And and weirdly enough, I think Power Apps caters more to me than it does to a pro dev. You know, this idea that I just want to ad hoc, you know, uh, in a very agile, to use a developer term, fashion, update these apps and publish changes and do that type of thing. So have you ever encountered things like, okay, when they come to the end, okay, now we want a themed app and we want every button to be like this or that. And then you have to go around and sort of theme it everywhere. Okay, we want the round corners to be like this. Yeah, we usually try to get those requirements called out in the uh, either in the scoping or the POC phase. Because as you probably know, right, it's a lot easier to make all your buttons hot pink with, you know, 70 degree round corners if you do it in the beginning and you make one and you just copy it instead of trying to go and put that in later um, yeah that's why i ask all the different difficult questions right yes <laughs> i want to know how you do it yeah so because... so, we, so we try to get all that kind of up front and then once we've gotten that um you know we build that in the poc phase and then we can quickly just you know once you've got one hot pink button it's real yeah. easy just to copy that and use that throughout your yeah, I've seen people using like a theming screen mm-hmm. that they don't really show. So they'd have a theming button there and then they just have a copy of that that they reference to that theme button. So they do- don't really have anything on the button itself. It's just referring a theme button over there. And then if you want to change something, you change that theme button for colors, font, size, and different things. And then they sort of propagate around the canvas apps but then you have to do that consciously before you even start yeah and you know and so that was one of the things that i had come up with a couple years ago and so we in the early days built apps that way um as power apps has matured though what's happened is so the way that power apps works like when you're running the app so you're a user using the app what happens is the only things that they try to render and put into memory is the actual screen that you're on. So when you're on screen three, it shows you screen three, and that's the only the only you know information that they're caching and storing in the browser. And then when you switch to screen four, they delete all the screen three cache, and then they just do screen four. But in that theming scenario that you just described, what would happen is your theme screen, even though it's never shown because you're referencing controls on it, on on, an, on your other screens, that screen would always have to be loaded. So now your Power App is twice as heavy in the browser, which is probably not a huge deal at the end of the day, but it is one of the things that Microsoft has been trying to steer us away from is this idea that we reference controls on other screens because it does add to the amount of moving parts that are in memory that are you know being pulled across that are being queried that are being updated. So it can have an overall negative net effect. On- yeah. And sort of the screens are not self-contained. Right. So that in itself is not sort of a thing that you can copy and paste somewhere else because then it 
has a reference to that theming page that's no longer there. You've got it. Yeah. So, so while we've done that in the past, Microsoft's kind of directed us away from that. Um, there's also some newer stuff. If you've ever looked at the, uh, the Power Apps Center of Excellence, COE, there's some new theming stuff in the, uh, the COE kit that I have not played with yet, but there are some new like theming ideas over there that are probably worth looking at. Um, also on theming, one of the things I've been really very pro is using components and component libraries to speed up you know, development, especially like if you're doing it all in-house. So <clears throat> what are the typical pitfalls that uh, you have been, and not of course you, but, but friends you know, right? <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, because one of the things that we do is we do a lot of um, help people finish their project, either with mentoring services or, you know, ad hoc support, that type of thing. And a lot of times it's... Um, the number one challenge with Power Apps is that you don't know what you don't know, which, I mean, sounds really stupid to say, I realize. But what we see a lot of times is people write formulas like, for example, there's a, form, a function in Power Apps called lookup. And so the lookup function, you press it parameters, and it gets the first record from your data source that matches that. Yay! Very fast, very efficient little um, function. A lot of times we see people doing... Um, first and then filter. So stacking two functions because they didn't know about lookup. So they end up, you know, using filtering all the data that returns a table that matches what they wanted. And they just take the first record from that table, which is exactly the same thing lookup would have done without the same, with, with half the steps. Yeah. So I, I think that's the number one challenge or number one issue we see people run into is they don't know what they don't know. Um, you know, the same type of thing, like you'd be surprised how many people in their app don't realize they can add Outlook as a data source and send the email directly from Power Apps. So instead, they go build a flow and the flow, you know, they build a flow just to send an email because they don't know that they could have just done it directly in Power Apps. So so that, that seems to be the, the, the most common set of pitfalls we see is just people not knowing all the different pieces that are available to them. Because all of the connectors are available in Power Apps just as in Power Automate, or yep. are there any difference there? No, all the same connectors are there. Sometimes you'll see some actions only exist in one or the other. And sometimes you'll see, you know, some of the actions are a thousand times easier to use over in Power Automate versus Power Apps. Um, but, you know, the... The, the bulk of the, the products or the bulk of the connectors are available across both without uh, much change. So what formulas do you like most? Is it Flow or Canvas apps? Oh, it's Canvas apps. I, I love Canvas apps with all my heart. Um, the only reason I even learned Power Automate was because it helped me make better Canvas apps. You know, it, at this point, I, I would say that I'm an expert in Power Automate, right? I know all the crazy shenanigans and things that I need to know and be able to do and I can teach classes on it. But in the early days, it was really just, I was I just wanted to only do Canvas apps and it would only time I would incorporate a flow was if I absolutely had to. And that's no longer the case. Now I, I feel well enough first that I can make more intelligent decisions. Yeah, because they're not... A uh they they're they're not the same at all right so if you want to if something in flow it's not the same as in canvas apps 
Yes, yeah, the, the, the expression language or formula language, the functions, whatever you want to call it, right? Yeah, they are definitely 100% different in Power Apps versus Power Automate. Um, so how do you think about that? Do you think that that just is another annoyance or you're not bothered with that? I mean, I do not think it's ideal. Um, I understand why it's, it is that way and I accept it. And I, you know, I, I would rather have Power Apps and Power Automate and deal with the fact that they have two different languages instead of saying, oh, we're not going to get Power Automate until the two languages come into to play, right? So, um, and, and I think that Microsoft understands that it's inconvenient that the two have uh, conf conflicting languages. And I, and I think that's something they'll uh, remedy at some point. I mean, I, they, I don't know if they've ever said that like, you know, for certain, but, but I, I know a lot of the people on the product team and I know that they understand, Hey, this is not ideal that these two things that are basically brother and sister, you know, speak, uh, two different languages. So in the fullness of time, it will be fixed then. That I would assume I have no proof <laughs> of that. I have, I can't guarantee that, but, but I understand enough about what's going on with it all to feel like it's going to get uh, fixed. Yeah, it it was just a common phrase that I heard from some Microsoft people a lot, like last year or something, in the fullness <laughs> of time. Yeah, it will get there. Yeah, the fullness um, of time. I, I Yeah, they, they've got some different ones, right? Another one of their favorites is, uh, that, that's great feedback. And then another one they like to say is, they, they like to answer questions with the word so. Yeah. You know when you, you got that, yeah, that's great feedback. They've got them what they want and they just want to go their away. Yes. <laughs> that's great feedback means get away from me. No, yes. That's not fair. That's not really true. But... No, of course not. I'm exaggerating because I can. Do you have something that do you think we missed? No, I was just going to, you know, try and encourage all of your listeners to, you know, if Assuming that they uh, are Microsofty people, which I'm imagining they would not listen to this if they were not Microsofty people, uh, definitely go check out Project Oakdale. It is currently in uh, preview, so that means things are changing and evolving all the time, which is a lot of fun. But I just the Power Platform is just such a game changer, and then being able to use the Power Platform directly integrated inside of teams without any additional licensing is like a double game changer. So I, I just can't do enough where I encourage you guys to, uh, to all go, go check it out. Okay. Um, so you open teams, you go to the settings in, in bottom left and you sort of look for the apps there, right? And then you search for power apps, go open it there. Is that how you do it? That sounds perfect. Yes. No, that is exactly how, uh, how you can get going. And the same type of thing, you know, while you're in there, make sure, because you use Power Apps, but once you add the Power Apps app, like you just said, uh, then you can, you know, look at adding Flow and adding, um, oh goodness, Power Virtual Agent. You know, it's all there. And if you haven't looked at Power Virtual Agent and chatbots, man, you should find you, you should find a guest that can talk to you about Power Virtual Agent and the chatbots because that is super neat. This ability to build a, smart chatbot and have it, you know, publish it into your teams without any additional licensing. Wow. I can't wait to play with that myself. 
Yeah, that sounds really fun, actually. And I can see here that it's version 0 0.7 as of this recording. And now it's the 28th of uh, September. So we're about two weeks away from publishing. So perhaps, nah, perhaps it hasn't gone live, but hopefully, right? Hopefully. Yeah, I don't know. You know, so it's been live for a week or it'll be a week tomorrow. So on the 29th, it'll be one week. And I, I'm going to guess that by the time your podcast, uh, you know, people are listening to your velvety tones, that it'll still be in preview. So yeah, go play with to, it in preview, people. It's awesome. So where do I go if I want to know more? Well, so if you want to learn more about Oakdale, Power Apps, Power Automate, or any of that, uh, as we alluded to before, I think I have just over 100 videos on those. Uh, and so that's all at YouTube. And so you can just go to youtube.com slash Shane Young Cloud, and that'll get you straight to my channel. Or just type in whatever you're after, right? Go type in Power Apps and Project Oakdale and see what videos show up. Maybe it's mine. Maybe it's someone else's. There, There's a lot of great free content out there. And I don't want to tell you, you just have to go watch mine. Or if you want to get more formal training, so you're like, hey, I really want to get into this stuff, but I want like a proper training class. I've got some classes at training.powerapps911.com. Or of course, we've got all the consulting and all that that you could ever need. So whatever you need in this space, I got you covered. Just just hit me up. Yeah, yeah, lovely. So do you have any public speaking scheduled? Perhaps virtually nowadays? I probably. I can never keep up. It just shows up on my calendar. Uh, like, it's like, and, and I wanted to say, you know, thank you. I know I was very difficult to get this scheduled, right? My calendar is a, a hot mess. Um, so I, I don't honestly know the next public event I'm doing, but I'm I'm certain it's out there. I just I don't really know what it is. <laughs> okay. Um, so you've alluded to who you want to recommend as a future guest. Do you know anyone that's really good on Power Virtual Agent? I, I would have to go flip through my Rolodex. I do not have a name that comes off the top of my head. But if you uh, if you ping me off offline or off show, I will find you um, some suggestions for some different guests for Power Virtual Agents. All right then. Thank you for your participation in CRM Rocks, Shane Young. Oh, thank you for having me. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. And thanks to your listening. And don't forget, you can comment on CRM Rocks. Just go to crmrocks.com. And you can, of course, listen to it wherever you want. Just search for it in your favorite podcasting app and you will find it right there. See you next time on CRM Rocks.